Hi everyone, welcome to Film Music Media's uh, Midsummer Music Matinee. I'm uh, Kaya Savas, I'm the founder of Film Music Media, and we have an amazing panel of guests here uh, to just talk shop and focus on scoring for strong characters. So uh, let's get in and introduce our panel. So uh, we have first up, we have the composer of the Tribeca and Netflix documentary, The Dream Life of George E. Stone. And she was also the co-composer for Disney Plus's Zombies 3. Please welcome Amit May Cohen. Hello. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Next, we have a film and TV comp uh, composer who recently composed for the action sci-fi thriller Corrective Measures. Please welcome George Stryker. Hello, George. Hello, George. <laughs> and then next, we have the composer for the HBO Max documentary series Edge of Earth and recent Emmy winner for his score to Netflix's Cat People. Please welcome Tyler Strickland. Hey there, Tyler. <laughs> and last but but not least, we have uh, Bleeding Fingers music composers who recently worked on Apple TV's Prehistoric Planet, created by John Favreau. Please welcome Kara Talvi and Andre Roseman. Hi, hey guys. All right, so let's uh, to kick this thing off. Um, you know, the, the I want to ask. This is going to be for everybody, so we can go down the line. I'll and I'll uh, call everyone out. But to start off, uh, do the strong. Uh, or prominent main characters uh, in a narrative inform the sonic palette of a project? And how do you go about finding that palette? So do characters and especially kind of the protagonist, the antagonist, kind of these, you know, driving force of any plot, how do they kind of inform your palette and take the score in a certain direction? And we can, you know, maybe start with uh, Tyler. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I... I would say yes, uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, sometimes we have characters that are a little bit more um, reserved, you know, a little bit quieter. Um, and sometimes you have characters that are more bold and aggressive on camera, but also, uh, you know, unscripted and and documentary projects. Um, yeah, there are a lot of, specifically in documentaries, I'd say there's a lot of characters that uh, require a bit of a, a sensitive um, approach too with the music for sure. Sometimes we have to be more delicate. Maybe what they're going through is more sensitive and maybe the music needs to be reflective of that. Yeah. And they're real people as well. So I thought you can't be, <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah. You treat that a little bit more respect than a fictional character. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, you have like uh, geographically appropriate um, directions you can take with the music and the instrumentation too that might need to come into play where absolutely yeah uh amit how about you how what, what is your take on on scoring for kind of strong characters and how it kind of pushes your approach um i think that first of all i want to figure out what is the sonic palette for the general story and mm -hmm. then from that i would figure out how to um represent the characters because if I'm going for like, you know, an orchestral hybrid score, like zombies, for example, then from that, I would choose certain instruments to represent the zombies or the cheerleaders. But if I'm doing a, a more intimate score, like the Dream Life of Georgie Stone, I would choose completely different instruments, but they all can represent the same um, characteristics. Like you can represent resilience with, you know, a flute, if you choose to. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I think first you got to figure out what narrative within the film you're trying to bring out and represent. And then from that, you figure out your individual characters. 
So you find you so you go about it finding the palette for the whole world first, and then that yeah, and then you find the characters to kind of push and exactly. move that palette around. Awesome. Yeah. So let I want to jump over to uh to Anje and Kara who you know have an experience of composing for very unique characters uh recently with prehistoric planets. So uh, guys, tell me about that process and how you you know approached a whole cast that uh, of of extinct animals. You want to start? Go ahead. Um. Well. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're dealing basically with yeah extinct animals and basically made up stories. Well, not scientifically based made up stories of these characters. Right. Um, but we we always wanted to uh, portray them as if you know the audience was actually watching these things unfold in front of them. So we wanted to make an illusion that they're watching a real life nature documentary like planet earth um but regarding the music we also wanted to translate that you know this was 66 million years ago so we included a bunch of um unique instruments in the score like the yabahar from gorkamsen and for for example our mosasaur character which is the biggest uh sea predator that have, has ever lived, like the size of the school bus, we use the giant subcontra bass flute. Uh, it just seemed fitting like the really massive, low boomy sound and also just the size of the instrument. Um, but a lot of times when we were uh, composing for, you know, specific characters, specific dinosaurs, uh, we would create custom instruments for them. For example, for the Velociraptor, we created the fat rex instrument that we have um, somewhere behind oh there it is <laughs> oh there it is yeah um think, and and you know that, we would that just... instrument is getting a lot of notoriety recently i've seen <laughs> <laughs> so we, we i mean we, we created the instrument we didn't really know that we would use it for the velociraptor but then when we start playing when we looked at the scene and he start playing the instrument we were like this is so fitting for this character um so yeah and that combined with the real orchestra made the illusion you know that you're kind of watching planet earth but with dinosaurs and the unique instruments were the dinosaurs the orchestra and the more traditional or instruments are the more you know uh what am i saying like the planet earth type uh score did, I, did that really make sense i'm sorry <laughs> if it did. Makes sense. sounds like a dream job <laughs> yeah that's amazing it well was, it's it was, a no, I also want to get George's perspective too. So George, talk to me uh, from your perspective and and uh, how do you approach uh, characters and does that influence your approach at all? Uh, totally. Um, in the case of uh, corrective measures, the overarching sort of theme was like that dirty Southern rock sound. So it takes place in a supervillain prison and uh, so really it was like, I knew that that was the baseline for everything. So with certain characters, how do you contrast that? So you'd contrast it with different styles or um, while kind of keeping everything homogenous under that hood of the dirty Southern rock thing. So, and obviously corrective measures being a kind of a comic book movie, everything's exclamation points. Uh, you have a lot of opportunity to um, go big and go loud with things. So, um, the characters are very big and the characters are very forward and they're all pretty unique. So I really, uh, in the case of several characters, they have specific superpowers. So 
one of them's uh, his superpower is electricity. So, okay, that's probably going to have some kind of an electronic sound. I'm going to sample maybe some some electrical arcs and things and put them into it and uh, make kind of neat percussion beds out of electronic, like actual electricity sounds and stuff like that. And one character um, listens to a lot of classical music. So I made a whole drum kit out of hitting on a grand piano and uh, gave him, you know, different things that sort of fed into that. So yeah, definitely, literally, in this case, the character has yeah. literally informed <laughs> the music as opposed to like, there's not a lot of room for subtext and corrective right. features. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And it, that made it really, really fun to be able to do that. And the themes and stuff, of course, too. So Absolutely. So yeah, speaking of themes, I want to ask everyone again, where do character themes come in? I know, you know, when you tackle a project, uh, for the you know when you're kind of getting started and getting your hands on it you're trying to and as Amit said you're trying to find the you know sonic world first so maybe Amit you can start off start us off but when how early on do you compose and decide these character themes when you start creating a melody or creating a motif or something does that come early on or do you wait a little bit later till it kind of till you know the characters more and it kind of speaks to you later on or is that the first thing you try to crack I'm curious when in the process does that happen so Amit I would love to if you kick us off sure I think I try to crack it down very early on. Does it happen? Yeah. Not always. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I can, which I definitely try, I will get all of the themes done. I like when themes also come up organically when you try to write a, you know, a scene that doesn't necessarily requires a theme, but then there's a motif that comes out with a melody or even like a sound or a pad or whatever. And that influences your decision for a, a different theme or something um so i i like happy accidents like bob ross calls them uh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but i feel like the if you get it all earlier it's easier to shape the the film and the storyline the arc um so doing that is probably the best technique <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, uh, Tyler, would you agree with that? Or would you? How how does it uh, for your process? When do you try to crack on uh, character themes and yeah. your process? Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big fan of spending the first week or so on a project, not really writing to picture, uh, just coming up. Sometimes for me, you know, just sitting at the piano and coming up with some chords and maybe a as simple of a melody as possible that, you know, comes to mind when thinking about the project and the characters and, you know, what I know of the story before I go, you know, watching hours and hours of footage. Um, so sometimes it comes to me really early on like that. Then also sometimes, like Amit was saying, it comes later, you know, and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a melody. Um, it can be a sound that's thematic. Um, and I, I really enjoy that too. I think that's a big part of my process. Because, uh, you know, we're all trying to make different sounds and like the crazy thing that they had back there with the the circle, what it looks like a frame drum or something with strings. I don't even yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I, I can, whatever that sound I, is. Andre, like, go grab that thing, grab that thing. If people need to see it, I mean. Yeah, like, I mean, it, you don't even really need to come up with a melody. I, I feel like whatever you play on that is thematic. So, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, wow, look at that. That's so cool. That's yeah. beautiful. 
So oh, yeah, let's Anjay and, and Kara, like you guys, uh, speaking of, you know, Tyler made a great point about finding a sound almost for, and you guys initially talked about how you had to find, you know, you picked certain instruments because they kind of just evoked certain characters. So I'm curious, uh, when did you find those sounds? Was those Were those early on in your process? Like maybe using this instrument as an example, when did that come into the process for kind of defining the, the Raptors? Yeah, so, well, in general, we started, you know, coming up with these prototype instruments um, before Chaz, who actually built all of these, brought them to life. They were sort of just crappy <laughs> prototypes of what we wanted it to be. Like here's an like our yeah. uh, well that one's raptor violin, but yeah, right. this like the prototype of this was basically just a bone with a, a cello string like wrapped around it and really held tightly, and I'm like oh it makes a sound and then. Yeah. We were trying to find organic materials to create the instruments with, and we found this Native American trading post with a room of bones, oh. and that's where we got all the materials, or some of them, and then we ordered some, and Chaz also made this <laughs> um, 3D printed T-Rex wow. doll. <laughs> That's, so um, cool. that's just for fun, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but like what Amit said, a happy accidents. Like yeah, the, that's the Velociraptor. The Velociraptor sure. theme is like, I'm, I'm going to try playing like, it's, it's so simple. But it's, it's basically like, um, we were just watching the scene and we were recording and I played this and then it just kind of stuck. But that's yeah. kind of how I compose. I always go with the first bad idea. Um, Conrad Pope <laughs> taught me yeah. that. Go with your first bad idea. But I think Kara is a lot more meticulous, and you know her melodies are much, much, much more beautiful than mine. But you actually spent you actually spent time thinking about them for like yeah, a long time. But also, it's cool that because he can play these instruments. I'm not a string player. I play piano, so. Um, I, I feel like that sort of is how you came up with such cool motifs because you were you had these instruments. But yeah, I wish I could play them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a sound out of yeah, it. Yeah, for example, but uh, sorry, just one more thing. For example, for the forest episode, the director wanted a theme. Yeah. Like, uh, right. and he wanted the forest episode to feel the most organic. So he didn't really use much of the custom weird instruments. It's mostly just orchestra. And that's where yeah. you like came up with like the really cool forest theme. Yeah. But you actually spent some time thinking about it. And <laughs> I think if I if I did it, it would never be as good. <laughs> no, so Kara, do you just do you just kind of work on a, a do you do a couple of like versions before you present it? Do you kind of work things out or do you try to throw it and see if it sticks, then take it back? Or kind of what's your process to getting to that point? Um, with the themes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the forest episode, I think that, that was a pretty good, <laughs> it was kind of just first try and he, he liked it, you know, because it, it's yeah. not the, you know, there's the overarching theme of the actual series, which was written by Hans Zimmer and Andrew Christie. So right. that that's a theme that we pull from throughout the series, but then each episode itself had its own sort of soundscape. And so the forest episode was more traditional and it had its own big majestic melody for the forest. Absolutely. 
So uh, George, uh, you know, talk to us about your process and are you, everyone who's shared, do you, are you some, do you kind of wait till it comes? Do you start to crack that first? Where, where in the process do character themes come in for you? I'm definitely to, to Tyler's point, um, do my, I like, like to do my homework before I kind of start writing to picture it all. And I, that's how I learned is it's best to, you know, watch the movie and then get away from it and go just write and explore and, and blue sky, as they say, nothing, you know, nothing, no bad ideas, just go do it. So I'll open up a big, you know, project, which might end up becoming my template later on when I start making the movie, scoring the actual movie. Um, and I just play around and I'll send stuff to the director or the editor or the producer, whoever I'm, I'm working with. And, uh, you know, I make a list when I see the movie and I, I kind of, my impressions of the characters and in the case of Corrective Measures, very clear, like this is, I know exactly who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, um, and all kinds of stuff like that. And then I just go explore and, uh, finding themes is, is really important if, if, the movie allows for that if it feels appropriate, but also yeah, finding the sonic palette for it. Um, in the case of Corrective Measures, uh, they had put in a bunch of needle drops of old country western kind of music and then some newer stuff that I'd never heard. So like, oh, okay, immediately that's the kind of palette we're going for and I can sort of dial that up and I infused some orchestral stuff in places where it felt appropriate, but I knew uh, it was going to be a small ensemble live, you know, rock band essentially with kind of stuff tossed on top of that um but yeah all that was figured out a week or two before i even started writing a picture um and having those themes ready at that point if, if everything's kind of done and you have like 20 minutes or something of pre-composed music the the job is kind of just doing variation <laughs> throughout the whole yeah. thing and sort of finding it to develop and where it feels appropriate to following the contour of the storyline and things like that. So it sort of makes your job easier, but then I've definitely had times where you're writing it and a new idea will replace an old one and, you know, or a sound will come in. You're like, oh, I know, I'll just use that throughout. Uh, right. But yeah. Absolutely. So, and then now I also want to, uh, another another question for the group, I want to piggyback kind of, Tyler kind of already touched upon it. So Tyler, maybe talk about, maybe we can dive into a bit more um, to kick us off. You're talking about, uh, composing for documentaries versus fiction. So when you treat a, a character in a documentary versus a, 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 a character from fiction, uh, how hard is that line between approaches? You, you're trying to craft an emotional pull for the audience either way, but how do you treat each one separately? And if at all, I know you kind of talked about how you're treating maybe one a little bit more respect, not going over the top with certain things. So I'm just curious from your point of view. Yeah, uh, specifically with just a cue uh, or a theme. Or a theme, a theme for like, if you're creating a theme for a character, whether it's a, a, a real person, uh, yeah. real person in real life versus a fictitious character. You know, it's really interesting. I think that's, I, I think as far as putting musical themes to real life documentary subjects, um, I think that process has come a long way over the last few years. But, you know, I think for a long time, it was like, oh, we don't want that, you know? We don't right. want to yeah. make this feel like we're manipulating the this this person's mm -hmm. true authentic self and their character. Um, I think I think that's come a long way. Um, and you know, lately I've been working on some things where it's like, oh, that character, 
you know, in, in this in the subject in this documentary, I guess we could say subjects for documentaries and characters for fictional films. Sure. sure. And uh, sometimes the subjects are like, oh yeah, I think clarinet just works with him or her. You know, it's just it really just works. So you know, let's gravitate towards that. Um, I don't know if there's really, I think what, what I'm trying to say is that I don't know if there is much of a difference between right, yeah. you anymore. It's, there are certain things about scoring documentaries that you need to be a little bit more sensitive about when you're approaching a cue. Um, obviously, if it's like a really delicate moment, if there's any kind of like political aspect in it um, that you need to be sensitive or aware of, you know, we have those conversations with directors all the time when I'm working on docs. Um, like I just did in Edge of the Earth, there's an episode, each episode is in a different part of the world, but specifically there's one in, uh, in Kyrgyzstan and there's a whole, you know, Islamic prayer song thing going on. And, and so like that's a whole conversation where, okay, that's a really big important musical element of this episode, but I need to be delicate with it. Right. Um, I'm not really sure how that would be approached in a, in a fictional film, but I'm sure probably the same way, you know? I think so, because I think people can lean into those kind of cultural music and, you know, certain instruments and be like, you know, when, when you open the Middle East, you got to hear certain instruments or certain things. And I, yeah. I actually just interviewed a good friend of mine, Dom Lewis, who did the new bullet train coming up and he, uh, very it was like I don't want to go full Japanese with the music I wanted to be more of the characters and the world and he took a you know distinct choice not to really just lean in too heavily with it because he probably thought it probably made feel either too cheap or insensitive I don't know so I think yeah you can work in, in fiction as well for sure yeah yeah it's cool so I'm, I'm for everyone else everyone wants to jump in has anyone else had experiences between scoring you know fiction and nonfiction and character writing uh, for themes and stuff like that I mean, uh, maybe uh, if, if we're talking like about natural history, nature documentaries, which yes, yeah, uh, uh, quite a few of um, it's that your characters are not speaking at all, right? Uh, so you have to be a, a a lot more on the nose sometimes on uh, what you are trying to say. And we had like a lot of, I mean, spotting sessions before each episode for Prehistoric Planet with the producers of the show. And they laid out the story arcs very closely for us, even if we were just working on very crude animatics at first. Um, but it, it's so crucial to, to, to be able to nail the specific emotions at a specific time. And I think if you're uh, working on a more narrative documentary, uh, you can be a, a lot more um, subtle with uh, mm -hmm. your portraying of emotions. And here it's, yeah, with like scoring for animals, <laughs> they don't speak. So you really need to let the audience know what they're actually doing. If there's just like a, a mouse in a field, mm -hmm. it can be just grazing or it can be in grave danger, but maybe the directors want you to just think that it's gray grazing, but it is in grave danger. But as a, you know, as a composer, your job is to portray those emotions as the directors and producers want at a specific moment. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, jump into a little bit more specific uh, thing. I'm going to talk to everybody, but I want to start, go, come back to uh, Anjay and Kara. Uh, you already showed us some, one of the most amazing, unique custom instruments, but I'm curious, is there anything else 
that you guys created for prehistoric planet for certain uh, dinosaurs there's you know certain uh, landscapes or anything were there any other cool custom instruments that were used in the score yeah <laughs> there are plenty of them the show and tell yes <laughs> this one's the hadrocello it's like a a baby cello <laughs> like oh, wow. for it's for youth yeah it's like right isn't yeah, this like with, elementary school yeah it's cello? elementary school cello with a i think it's a moose bone on it yeah um <laughs> sounds kind of like a it's, it's kind of like a doo-doo yeah it just kind of fit with the slow walking hadrosaurs usually yeah um uh we would like even if we just had like normal brass or a woodwind ensemble we would uh, Kara would say, oh, can you record the hadro cello on like all of the four lines? So it's like, yeah, you have the brass in combination with this and it just makes them sound, I don't know, more ancient or plotty. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you guys are really trying to create otherworldly feel, you know, because we've never experienced these animals in nature, you know, so uh, that was kind of the goal of it as well, right? Yeah, we wanted people to question what they're listening to and it, it even when the directors first heard certain instruments, they were like, oh, what, what even is that <laughs> that we're listening to? So I think that's the reaction we were looking for. Yeah, that's exactly like uh, that the audience would say, um, yeah, what is that instrument? I can't really put my finger on it. And, and I, we saw some YouTube discussions of like people debating what the, what the Velociraptor theme is played on. Um, wow. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know you, you do you know you did well when you're creating you know chatter on YouTube and they're trying to break <laughs> down. <laughs> and but this is like I don't know if we please stop us if we don't have time. This is basically the oh, first no, one that we created. It's um yeah it's uh I think this one is a deer bone with a, a little petrified wood thing here wow. for the um, bridge. Uh, and let's see if I can make a sound out of it. So it, it just has a really cheap Amazon contact microphone on it. Um, but this was all used, you need. This one was a lot like used for our raptors, like our dromaeosaur, and then just to create textures throughout. It's basically almost in almost in all cues in some format. It's 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 very hard to play any like distinct melody on it. <laughs> right. I don't know, I don't know how, how well you guys heard it, but um, no, it, it came through. That was awesome. <laughs> no, but, that's amazing. I mean, you got yeah, you really. I mean, you guys got to literally become crazy, you know, experiments and you know, scientists building these uh, things. That's it sounds like just such an amazing project. I mean, overall. <laughs> yeah, it was really it was fun. Very very fulfilling in that in that aspect. Of course. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, so I want to uh, continue on. Let's, I want to jump over to Tyler. So, Tyler, can you uh, walk us through a few of your favorite character-driven scores uh, for unscripted and scripted uh, projects? In particular, how did um, 
that previous experience inform your work on on edge of the earth um yeah I, so i've worked on a handful of narrative projects and tv stuff um castle rock and you know some some cool thriller kind of narrative tv shows um and you know some of it comes into play i think obviously like i've been doing documentaries for much longer probably 10 years plus um but where i'm where i'm kind of headed towards now is getting the freedom and maybe this is just coming from long-term relationships i've built with directors but getting the freedom to kind of go to the extreme with the music in some of these documentaries um i'm also working on you know edge of the earth is this like expansive all helicopter footage you know imax quality type stuff um and it's these athletes around the world and super remote destinations on the side of a wall that's never been rock climbed you know or surfing big waves in africa that have never been seen before and so the music is is definitely big and uh it's you know i mean it's all kind of a new experience for me because a lot of the times in documentary people are asking you to do like less uh, yeah. but maybe there's some there's some parallels i think to maybe the prehistoric you know uh show that you guys are working on where it's like it's just beautiful and it all just really demands big music like epic ex a good experience with the music some sounds that you haven't heard before um we did some really cool stuff with the music in that show with some vocals because you know, a lot of it is about these athletes in these places doing things nobody's ever done before on walls that have never been climbed, waves that have never been surfed. Um, they're like trying to snowboard and there's avalanches falling all over the place, it's insane. And so they're completely out of control all of the time. And we wanted this voice of like mother earth, this element that is always in control of the environment mm -hmm. that they're always in. And so for us, that was, that was vocals and we used this uh, amazing vocalist Ari Mason for some, you know, like just this mother earth quality. Uh, so she, her voice was really like a character in the show that you never see, but you Absolutely. know it's there in a way. I mean, earth is in the title. I mean, in the title of the, yeah. of the series. So, I mean, you have, that's your character right there, you know, to, you have to have that present in the score. I think that's amazing. That's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. So it was never like, oh, this is a character that you need to score because they're on, on camera, but it was actually, right. um, yeah, something that just sort of, kind of like what Amit was saying, like it became a theme later on, maybe halfway through scoring the second episode that I was like, oh wait, we did some really cool stuff in the first episode. I think that's a, a, a theme, like a sonic palette yeah. that we need to return to in every episode. And then we just, we ended up doing that, but yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so let's jump over to George. So uh, George, your recent project, Corrective Measures is an action-packed film that kind of blends a few genres together. So can you talk about how you approach scoring the film and kind of creating a balance and I guess finding the right tone and, and yeah, take us through that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, uh, there's a lot going on in that movie. Um, Score-wise, uh, you know, it had the, the baseline again was that sort of dirty Southern rock um, sound throughout the sort of, you know, Southern prison movie sound. And, um, but a lot of the, there's a lot of different characters that demanded different styles of music, like the, the conductor who's, uh, 
the supervillain with the electrical powers had more of his, his big scene and all his little cues and stuff would have more hints of kind of electronic music and, and those kinds of uh, elements. And then the character uh, of the Loeb that Bruce Willis played is the, um, the his, his sound is more sort of, I hesitate to say classical, but kind of in that vein, more it's just a solo piano and cello kind of thing. Um, and when they'd all come together in this uh, this big action scene at the end, the big prison break scene, where we kind of go into more metal stuff. But I try to keep the southern rock sound alive with keeping slide guitars in there, even if they're completely distorted and face melting. I try to keep them. You know, I try to keep the southern articulation. I guess you could say in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. I really just I, even if I was veering off the track entirely into a completely different sonic territory, especially near the end, we didn't touch any metal stuff until all hell breaks loose at the end of the the movie. Uh, I tried to keep that sound still alive in there, whether it was a slide guitar, acoustic guitar would show up somewhere. Any any chance I got to sort of keep our foot in that ring throughout the whole score. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, congratulations. I think it, it, it the end product is, or product, I don't hate to use the word product, but the end film is fantastic. Oh, thank um, you. I really yeah. appreciate that. I'm so, happy with uh, you too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you should be. Uh, Amit, so you recently, uh, let's jump over to you. You recently uh, composed for Zombies 3. What was it like composing for a fan favorite, you know, uh, movie series like that? And what was your approach, you know, to the whole thing? Um, it's super fun because you know a lot of kids are gonna they're waiting for that it's also yeah, nerve-wracking yeah. because a lot of kids are waiting for that yeah, pressure. <laughs> those kids yeah. are also my cousins so i know the bar is really high and kids are actually not that easy to satisfy you know if you if you do like if you make a mistake and make like a lame track then they're gonna point it out so you don't want to do that yeah. <laughs> um i think the coolest thing about zombies is that the the whole production team was just so awesome so there was always like this really good energy whenever we went to a meeting the room just felt good you know um so there was there was just a general aura of like excitement and everybody just loving the project which makes it so fun and you just you're so excited to work on it um I think especially for the third one being the last movie in the in the series there was a lot of expectations and like all of the I don't know if you saw the, any of the promos but all of the promos are like we had to step it up and, you know <laughs> we really wanted to just go for it so it kind of makes you feel like oh okay I gotta really go for it now not that we didn't before but it was even more extra um so I think that allowed us to actually step outside of um, our, our sonic palette for uh, the first and the second one and to do some unpredictable stuff. Like the, yeah. there was a new characters all of a sudden, we had the aliens and we wanted to avoid using like a theramine because it's so obvious. Unless course, yeah. it's only for a comedic moment. So I think we use right. the theremin maybe like three times in the entire score, but only when it just like you are, you didn't expect it. And then when you hear it, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the whole theme for the aliens is actually, and um, we call it the out, 
outer-worldly bossa nova. So it's like based on bossa nova, but it's not really. So you can't really pinpoint it. And yeah. the instruments are kind of wacky. It's like, you know, percussion instruments you would give kids, you know, like those that you like, you have a stand when you do that. I forget the name. But yeah. anyway, so it's like it's unexpected. And I think that approaching the music with that in mind made the process even better. Um, because even the production, the people in the production didn't expect it. When we came up with that theme and showed it in the meeting, it was it was so fun to just see like the director and producer, they're all laughing. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, in that sense, uh fun and nerve-wracking is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> fun and nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it sounds like you had an amazing time and it sounds like you guys were able to evolve the the, you know. Take, take the music in new directions it must be fun to just continue mm -hmm. working you know with those characters and new characters and and, and yeah. pushing it and, and growing the score you know in a sense <laughs> definitely um so i want to go around again and just kind of ask everyone um uh, you know what is uh your kind of your if, from your recent projects or you know a favorite character theme that you you wrote maybe there was a unique instrument maybe an, um something unique about the character but you know what what sticks out to you? What would you look back on and go, oh, that's really you know creatively creatively rewarding for me? I look back at it's a real favorite of mine. So, yeah, what stands out in your mind as a, as a favorite character theme? And what made it your favorite? So, I mean, maybe you could just continue and, and tell sure. us. Yeah. So, can I plug in two projects? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, the Dream Life of Georgie Stone. Obviously, um, we were not trying to like create one theme for Georgie. Like the whole the whole movie it's Georgie's many themes. Um, I think the most interesting aspect about her theme is that Maya, the director, asked me to make the sound of a thought being made. So like your brain is moving. And right. my initial instinct was actually to record a bicycle um, spokes being like spun, spinning, spinning, English, oh, wow. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And like sticking like, you know, sticks in it or different like metal, whatever. So you make this like tuck, 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 tuck sound and yeah. then bringing it to the computer and slowing it down and, you know, adding a lot of effects to it. So there was always like an element behind her sound, her theme that was just moving and making those like clunk, 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 clunk. And it's also unpredictable rhythm. So that was, that was really fun. It plays throughout the entire movie. Um, and then Another theme I really enjoyed doing, um, I just did a documentary limited series with Dara Taylor called 37 Words. It's part of the 5050 documentary um, yeah. for ESPN. And in episode two, I think we have a theme for the Yale rowing crew. And what we wanted to represent is actually not the crew, but the feeling of water and mm. i think that one was just so i just i think i was very moved while writing for that which is always fun when you write something that just makes you like feel emotions and want to cry yeah. when you write it <laughs> um so yeah there was a lot of motion and the the palette for that was slightly different than the other uh the rest of the film uh, show so that was that stayed with me <laughs> absolutely i mean that sounds incredibly rewarding <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh 
Um, so uh, George, how about you? Is there a favorite character theme from from your recent projects or that really sticks out to you? Something personal, something that, and what made it special? <laughs> um, I mean, I personally relate to corrective measures in so many different ways. Uh, really? But uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> there was from your a hard past. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I uh, I had a ton of fun working on it. Uh, I got to do a lot of things that I've never done before. Really, most of the stuff I've done has been orchestral um, music. So this was a chance to really dive into the kind of hybrid sound design sort of thing. Um, I think my favorite cue in the movie is the reveal of the lobe where we first hear his. He's the you know, the head honcho supervillain in the, the whole prison. And he's the guy who had the the sample, like hitting the grand piano for his his drum kit right. and like all the metal on the piano and things. Um, and just, I don't know, just the way that cue sort of timed out and the slow reveal as they take his mask off and stuff was really, really fun to do. And also in, in that cue and other cues with the low, but I tried to find something because his power is, his mind like you can you know control things control people so i was like well they're asked what are the frequencies of the human brain and where do they operate and so i found this little chart of like all these things and they're pretty much inaudible you couldn't hear it but right. at like 30 hertz i just threw that in a synthesizer and then distorted the the hell out of it and that used that as this kind of sound for his character oh, wow. when he's using his power as kind of a sub uh, sub bass sort of synth thing, but that shows up in that cue. And also, since he listens to classical music a lot, I did this little sort of knockoff quasi uh, Bach motif thing, the little descending piano thing as that comes. And it's a really easy thing to kind of plug in anywhere because it can go against any melody and stuff. So um, that was really fun to do. Um, yeah. That sounds amazing. I mean, that's, 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 I just love the thinking behind that. Like, to, <laughs> that's just so creative. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, Tyler, how about you? Any favorite themes that stick out for you? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, just because we've been talking about it, and I already kind of said it, but I think, you know, most recently, the edge of the earth, you know, the earth theme, the mother earth theme is just mother earth been theme. a really rewarding one. I feel like uh, what we did with it also recording live orchestra and then kind of blending that melody, both with vocals and the whole orchestra playing it at the same time. It just came through like really, really well in the show. It's it's probably some of my more proud moments. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, awesome. In what I've come up with, but yeah, and, and yeah, unfortunately, like I've got all these cool projects I'm working on now that I can't talk about because they're not <laughs> like we all are. Just working in a in a dark room by ourselves until people say it's okay to talk about it. <laughs> Right. You gotta uh, respect the NDAs. You gotta respect the NDAs. Yeah, so. yeah I know. But uh, you know, like I've done some, I've done some great stuff for, like we did a John Wayne Gacy show for Peacock that I think maybe we talked about last year, and um, it was that was a extremely, uh, you know, very different emotional direction for the theme in that in that show, but um, big melodic theme for John. Uh, for John Wayne Gacy in that show too. Wow, yeah. that's that's a that's a character for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah <definitely. laughs> so uh, Andre and Kara, I, uh, Andre, I could probably speak for you because I know we talked about. It. I know the 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 Raptors were very, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. But tell us a uh, favorite themes from you know from Prehistoric Planet or anything recently you worked on that really kind of stuck out and and is that you find uh, very rewarding and memorable. Um. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the Velociraptor theme is my favorite, but we already talked about that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a scene that's like became like a fan favorite, I guess, from Prehistoric Planet is the Dreadnoughtus scene in deserts where you have these two giant sauropods fighting it out to the death. Um, <laughs> and we, we tried not to go generic epic in the in anywhere in the series really but that scene was just like you know you have these two largest land creatures fighting it out um so we use like giant drums some custom giant drums and electric guitars and then the whole brass section playing in octaves just the bum 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 the motive of the uh main theme and yeah, now, now, like when when we wrote it, I thought, ah, uh, it's 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 an okay cue. But now, seeing that people really enjoy listening to it, you know, and that it's kind of becoming meme material, and people putting the music <laughs> on like Godzilla <laughs> and Kong fighting it out, you know, it's it's epic over the top. But I think it's it makes an effect in the series because you only get the epic over the top in the dreadnoughtus fight scene in the mosasaur battle which are like another two male mosasaurs fighting it out um yeah and that's why what makes i think the scene special because they're just like um unique absolutely you, uh, yours is the hadrosaur right uh, Andre definitely has pictures on his wall with the you have to with the dinosaur and the name right i mean you've got a cheat sheet right like there's all these names <laughs> they've memorized you guys have memorized probably every dinosaur like yeah if you want to look at the soundtrack <laughs> the oh, titles amazing. are all different dinosaur species so, <laughs> so that will help you learn them love that. <laughs> yeah oh, oh yeah you should yeah hatsagopteryx was a really good one because yeah. that was part of the forests episode and um we got to be really big and melodic for him as well he's one of the only ones that has like a big melodic motif like that so oh wow yeah that's that awesome but the the problem is i mean the problem not not all of the dinosaurs reappear in the series yeah so we right. kind of had to decide you know who's reappearing who's a strong <laughs> character that's coming back and who who really needs a theme and absolutely Absolutely. So uh, I kind of want to wind things down a little bit, you know, wrap up. We have we've talked about so much this evening, um, but I kind of want to go back around and just, uh, just a fun question. You know, we've been talking about character themes this entire time. And I'm just like, I want to know what everyone's favorite character themes, you know, that that you love, that you either grew up watching, listening, you know, not composed by you, your favorite characters from cinema, from TV, whatever. I'll go first. And then one that really sticks into my mind that maybe not conventional, but I love Harmonica's theme from Once Upon a Time in the West you know, Ennio Marcone, I think it's just perfect in the way he blends it into the final duel and everything. I thought that was a uh, chef's kiss. So, <laughs> but I'll go, uh, Amit, is there any any big theme from film scores that stick mm. with you, that resonate with you? Um, I think my favorite score of all time is uh, Princess Mononoke by oh, wow, Joe Kisaishi. That's actually the reason why I chose to do film scoring because I That's heard that amazing. when I was young. <laughs> So yeah, the uh, um, just all of the scenes there, they're just so yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. That's a great answer. Absolutely. Uh, George, how about you? Any character theme that sticks out? Oh man, that's a tough question. Um, 
not recently. not your favorite, just one, you know, just one maybe. <laughs> this <laughs> is I, it. I, 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 this <laughs> is the one. <laughs> I only get one shot at this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll say lately, I've this is so random, but I've fallen in love with the score to Casper from James Horner. That and is a beautiful score. Oh my god, it's like makes me weep for oh yeah and for it to be part of that movie it's just like what yeah. this is it is the the i don't know what you'd call it i guess it's casper's theme but it's this, this really haunting that, sad that lonely piano dun, yep. dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's exactly that that's the yeah, one yeah, yeah. it's incredible that, and it's it really here, yeah. <laughs> it never ceases to kind of blow me away um yeah. and all his little variations on it so yeah that one for sure is and then the jumanji score too the james oh Warner yeah jumanji yeah score. it's oh. incredible Casper, that's perfect. I love Casper, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler, how about you? Uh, the two ones that we hum at my house often: <laughs> the uh, Indiana Jones, for sure. There you and, go, perfect. Uh, Has to be. <laughs> and, yeah, X Files because it's my wife's ringtone, but also I just can. <laughs> perfect. I mean, yeah, that's that's one of the most iconic television themes of all time. Classics. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just, I, I went to John Williams' 90th uh, celebration at the Kennedy Center in DC. And uh, he, he did not, he played Marion's theme. He didn't play the, you know, he took that, he put that one on the back burner for that one. So, <laughs> but you'll hear it at the bowl, I'm sure, this summer. <laughs> um, uh, Anjay and, and Kara, how about you? What are two, two iconic themes that are things that you really love? The one that came to mind right away was Succession. The Nicholas Bertel. Oh yeah, oof. That's... I love that theme. I think so about good. it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Um, for me, I think "Red Violin" by John Curliano. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely amazing. And then, if we're speaking about like character motives, I think almost no other film does it better than Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore. Mm -hmm. Like oh, yeah. the amount of light motifs and melodies is like just crazy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I mean, that's, those scores are just, I can't even, you can't, I mean, it's like a masterclass of just scoring. I mean, it's just like, a, yeah, Bear, Bear Mercury has work cut out for him on the yeah. Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't envy Bear <laughs> tackling that. <laughs> but, um, uh, everyone, I just want to thank everybody for all their time and their and all their uh, insight and perspective and you guys sharing all about your work. It's been so inspiring. So uh, thank you, Amit, George, Tyler, Kara, Anjay, for being here with us tonight. I want to thank uh, Impact 24 for helping uh, uh, put this together uh, for Film Music Media. And and uh, we have more panels coming for um, the Midsummer Matinee. So uh, stay tuned for more. <laughs>